Good morning. I think you can sound a little better than that. Good morning. That's better. Yeah, we got great news to celebrate today. Why wouldn't we be cheerful and be lifted up? It's good to see you all here. Good to see you youngins that came back to see moms and dads. I noticed one thing, though. You don't look quite as young as what you used to. I understand that they took a poll here a while back, and they found out that the average American is growing older. And so, yeah, I can remember being younger. <laughs> Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Colossians this morning. That's right, the book of Colossians. I want to look at the third chapter, the first four verses. We celebrate the resurrection today, and I want to come at it maybe from a little different angle. You home folk here have heard me say this before, and, and I think uh, it seems that most preachers agree that the most difficult messages to prepare, to preach, are on special days. What can I say today that you don't already know or haven't already heard about the resurrection? So we try to look for maybe just a little different angle or perspective to come at it from. And so I don't know if I'll achieve that today or not, but that's my attempt, all right? In Colossians chapter 3, it says, If then you've been raised up with Christ. Raised up indicates a what? A resurrection of sorts. Talking a spiritual resurrection here. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. How did he get there? Because he was raised on the third day, and then 40 days later he ascended into heaven and took his place at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Meaning what? When Jesus returns, we will be raised, we'll be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, and we will spend eternity with our Heavenly Father. But focus in on verse 3 for a moment. Paul says here, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, what could Paul possibly mean by that? Well, he says in a more famous passage in Romans 6, verse 11, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's probably close to what he means right here in Colossians. We are dead to sin. Now, as followers of Jesus, we still struggle against sin. We all do that. But because of the resurrection, we know that sin no longer has the power to destroy us. Right? The resurrection is the key. But notice also what he says in that verse. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. The Greek word there used for hidden is the Greek word Crypto. It looks like crypto, but pronounced crypto. Now, does that sound familiar? I mean, think about that word where you've heard it before, crypto. Cryptology, uh, cryptography, which is the study of secret codes. A cryptogram. 
How many of you like to do those? And some of you say, what's a cryptogram? Okay, it's that annoying little word puzzle in the newspaper that involves breaking a code. All right, it's in the daily record every Thursday when we get it. There's a cryptogram there, okay? The word cryptic, a puzzling remark you just can't understand. And if you're a fan of comic books, I mean old school, back before they started calling them graphic novels, then you know that Krypton was the name of the planet that Superman came from. The place was hidden, a mystery to those who dwell on the earth. Here's another one, a bit different from the rest. Crypt. What's a crypt? Steve Cunningham back there could tell you. Yeah, a crypt, it's just another word for a tomb. How many of you remember that, maybe I shouldn't say tacky, but that old TV show, Tales from the Crypt? All right? The one with that gruesome talking skeleton puppet, the Crypt Master? Okay. Into a crypt goes a casket containing a dead body. They call it that because that's what a corpse is meant to do. It's, it's meant to remain hidden, hidden until the day when all who believe are raised to new life with Christ. Now, to hide something away is literally to encrypt it. So think of how it might change the way we look at Colossians 3, verse 3, if we translate that verse very literally. If we bring back the Greek word itself, and Paul says, For you have died, and your life is encrypted with Christ in God. It's a mystery. What happens after death? Open the newspaper, you scan through the obituaries, and oftentimes there are pictures of the person that has died. And you look at those pictures, people who just a few days before were living and breathing. Where are they now? Where have they gone? And trying to answer that question is like trying to read a line of random letters from one of those cryptogram puzzles. When you start out trying to solve a cryptogram, all you've got is a string of random letters unless you have the key. And they always give you one key that this letter equals this letter. And so you get one hint and you try to solve it. But unless you have the key, unless you know that letter A stands for letter P and, and, and B and C and so on, you can't make any sense of it. But once you figure out the key, it comes easily. The most famous Code-breaking device of all time is a slab of black granite-like stone that's on display in the British Museum. It is their central piece. It's called the Rosetta Stone. Soldiers of Napoleon's army dug it up in the town of Rosetta, Egypt in the year 1799. It contains an inscription carved in three languages, Egyptian hieroglyphics, another ancient Egyptian tongue called Demotic, and then classical Greek. But when the British defeated Napoleon, they took that stone as booty and brought it back to London. For the next 23 years, scholars puzzled over that stone's meaning, what was written on it. The museum experts, they knew what a treasure they had in their hands because up until that time, no person alive could translate Egyptian hieroglyphics. It was a completely lost language. 
Generations of travelers had gone to Egypt, stood at the feet of those, those larger-than-life statues of the pharaohs, statues fairly covered with hieroglyphics. And what most of those symbols signified, nobody knew it was anybody's guess. So for 23 years, the experts at the British Museum struggled to make sense out of the Rosetta Stone. They understood classical Greek, but the other two languages they didn't know. The meaning of the symbols was hidden. It was encrypted. It was a mystery. But during a two-year period from 1822 to 1824, a Frenchman by the name, and I don't know if I'll pronounce this correctly, Jean-François, Champollion, <laughs> just calling Jean, I guess, I don't know. Anyway, he puzzled over the three parallel inscriptions using mostly just a paper facsimile of it. He was fluent in Coptic, which was a modern Egyptian language with ancient roots. He knew that the Coptic language shared some characters in common with the ancient Demotic tongue, and so slowly, and laboriously, through a combination of linguistic scholarship and sheer guesswork, he reconciled the hieroglyphics with the classical Greek and used the demotic language as the bridge between them. And the more characters he identified, the more words became clear. And by cross-checking each new word with its counterpart in the other two languages, he could identify even more new characters First, kind of tentatively, then for certain, it was slow going. It took weeks, even months to puzzle out even one hieroglyphic character. But then, as what always happens with code breaking, that process picked up speed. And the new characters came faster. And eventually, he had it all. And without the Rosetta Stone, the cryptic key, that breakthrough wouldn't have been possible. Egyptian hieroglyphics would probably still be a mystery to us today because possessing the key is everything. Now, as Christians, what's our cryptographic key? What is it that enables us to decode this cryptic message from the letter to the Colossians where Paul says, you've died and your life is hidden, encrypted, with Christ in God. How do we answer the question of where those people staring back at us from the obituaries have gone? How do we answer the question of where you and I will go when our time on this earth is up? Well, I'm glad to tell you on this bright morning that such a cryptic key does exist for us. And the key is the historical event that we celebrate today. It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The key to unlocking the mystery of death is the resurrection of Jesus. See, the resurrection of Jesus is our Rosetta Stone. It's the key that decodes the meaning of life. I mean, there's so much in this world that we don't understand, right? We don't understand why an infant might be born with a birth defect and die. We don't understand why, why a catastrophic storm wipes out thousands of lives. We don't understand so much of what happens in this life. I can't explain why these things happen, neither can you. And there's no one who can explain precisely how catastrophes like these fit into God's plan. Faced with such random suffering, you and I might be tempted to declare that the narrative of our life 
It's just nothing more than a nonsensical jumble of letters like a cryptogram until we discover the key to the puzzle, until we hear about the resurrection of Jesus. Mary Magdalene heard it early on that morning while it was still dark as that man who she thought to be the gardener calls out her name. And at first, she just knows only her joy, but in time, she and the other disciples will know that in the resurrection, they have the key. It's the message that breaks the code. And it's that message that bridges earth and heaven for us. So in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, I want you to see the first 18 verses. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark, and she saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter, to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter, came to the tomb first, and stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Simon Peter therefore also came following him and entered the tomb, and he beheld the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb entered then also, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. But Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so as she wept, she stooped and looked into the tomb, and she beheld two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and beheld Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me, for I've not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came, announcing to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. I'm not saying you have to understand it. I don't understand everything about the resurrection. I don't understand how it was that the risen Jesus could show up inside of a locked room as John describes in the very next verse, in verse 19 of this chapter, where the disciples were. I can't explain how in Luke's account he breaks the bread for Cleopas and his companion in the village called Emmaus, and then moments later he vanishes from their sight. I can't explain those things for you. I just know that they're a part of this saving story and that when I hold that story up against my life, things make a lot more sense, not less. A wise person once said when asked whether you have to first understand the resurrection in order to believe it, he said the resurrection functions much like a bridge. 
You don't have to be a mechanical engineer and understand everything there is to know about the physical properties of metal and the precise way the pieces are riveted together in order to walk across the bridge. In the same way, with the Rosetta Stone, the scholars that came along afterwards didn't have to duplicate the translator's feet. They, they didn't have to puzzle out the hieroglyphics again. No, all they had to do was build on the work he had already done using the stone as their cryptographic key. And you and I don't have to explain the resurrection. We don't need to comprehend its every detail. We who are followers of Jesus have already died, it says here in Colossians 3 verse 3, our true lives, our eternal lives are now hidden encrypted in the risen life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the resurrection functions as our Rosetta Stone. It translates God's triumphant love into a new life that we can actually live right now, in the here and now. And that's the good news that dawned on that garden where Mary was. And when she saw her Lord and her Master... And that's the good news that dawns in our lives today. That's what we celebrate today. And not just today. We celebrate the resurrection how often? Every week. It ought to be every day of our lives, but certainly every Lord's Day. Why is it called the Lord's Day? Why do we worship on the Lord's Day on the first day of the week? Because of the resurrection of Jesus. So let me share with you why the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is such a key event. Why does the resurrection matter? Well, first of all, it establishes who Jesus is. It proves he is the Son of God. Romans 1 verse 4 says, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead. That's the proof. Jesus said he was the Son of God. He claimed to be the Messiah. The resurrection proves it. I mean, anybody that can walk out of his own tomb never to die again, I think you pretty much have to believe everything he said, don't you? I mean, Muhammad died on June the 8th in the year 632, and Muhammad's still in his grave. Confucius died in 479 B.C. He's still in his grave. Jesus died around 33 A.D., but he's alive. He's alive, risen from the dead, never to die again. Secondly, the resurrection tells us what God's all about. God's mission was and is to raise the dead, spiritually and physically. God didn't abandon his son to the grave. The Old Testament prophesied that he would not allow his Holy One to see decay, meaning the Messiah would not be in the grave long enough for the body to begin to decompose. No, God raised him from the dead because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And he's going to do the same thing for you if you die in Christ. He's going to raise you from the dead. So praise the Lord for that. Thirdly, the, the, the resurrection is inseparable from the gospel. Some people say it doesn't matter if Jesus was raised. Others totally reject the bodily resurrection of Jesus. They say he died on the cross, that was enough. The resurrection is inconsequential. Wrong. 
Paul's definition of the gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4. It is a matter, Paul says, of first importance. It's priority. It's inseparable from the gospel. Fourthly, the resurrection is the key to our salvation. It is the key to our salvation. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17, that if Christ be not raised, your faith is worthless, and we are still in our sins. Is that the way you want to die? With a worthless faith and still in sin? You don't have to die that way. What's the key? The resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is the key. God raised him from the dead. According to Acts 5, 30 and 31, he raised him as a prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. And Romans 4, 25 says, Jesus was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Fifthly, the resurrection is connected to our baptism. It's the key to our baptism. The key to our immersion into Christ. Romans 6.4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Jesus died, he was buried, he was risen from the dead. In baptism, when we are immersed in water, a spiritual death takes place. We put to death the old person of sin. There is a burial in a tomb of water, and there is a resurrection to a new life. Maybe that's why God told us to be immersed, to reenact in a symbolic way what Jesus actually did for us. The resurrection is key to our baptism. Six, the resurrection is the fuel that ignites our preaching and teaching. The resurrection was the touchstone of apostolic preaching throughout the book of Acts. You remember when they had to find a substitute, uh, someone to take the place for Judas who had taken his life? They said, we need to find someone who can be also a witness with us of what? The resurrection. Not the crucifixion, that's important, but a witness of the resurrection, they said. And that resurrection filled their preaching. Look at every sermon preached in the book of Acts, and it'll all go back ultimately to the resurrection. Acts 4.33 says that with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Seventh, the resurrection gives us a living hope for a bright future. 1 Peter, 3, verse, 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. If there's no life after death, what hope do we have? None. But we have a living hope. Why? Because we're going to be raised from the dead. Why? Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Praise the Lord. We have a living hope for a bright future, an eternal future. Eighth, the resurrection establishes the judgment. The judgment. Acts 17, verses 30 and 31 tells us, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, 
But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he'll judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. What man is that? He's given proof to this to all men by raising him from the dead. Jesus is the one who will judge the world with justice. And the resurrection is the key that sets the stage for judgment day. Ninth, it guarantees our own resurrection. Our own resurrection. Paul says in Romans 8, 10 and 11, that if Christ is in you, though the body's dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. So do you have that spirit? Does it dwell in you? I pray that it does. And if you don't know if you have that, if you wonder how you get that, you get it by accepting Christ as Lord and Savior. Peter said on the day of Pentecost, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin and you'll receive the gift of what? The Holy Spirit. And without that, you're lost. Without that, you will not rise to live eternally with the Lord. It is through that Holy Spirit that God raises you from the dead to live in his presence. And tenthly, the resurrection reminds us Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. Every time I do a graveside service for a Christian, I read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14. It says, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Wow. We're going to get to see loved ones again. You ever stood in a cemetery and heard the preacher say, well, we bring brother or sister so-and-so to this, their final resting place. And I think, you know, if brother or sister so-and-so is a Christian and died in Christ, that cemetery is not their final resting place. It is their future launching pad. Absolutely. Because Jesus is coming again. Resurrection. You know, because of the resurrection, death isn't death. I love that old poem. It comforts me when I recall that I shall never die. And though my body be deceased, this body is not I. Worry from life, this flesh I know back to the earth returns. But I, released, shall go to God for whom my spirit yearns. And you'll do wrong to weep beside my fresh dug mound of earth. If tears you shed blind you to this, death is not death, but birth. Nor should friends ever think of me as buried in a tomb. Christ vows I'll be home with him, safe in the Father's room. For Christians cannot be confined to vaults or earthen graves. When I die, I'll take my flight back to the God who gave. So let none cling to false beliefs that pagans still embrace. Not knowing Christ put death to death and put life in death's place. So when I die, if one should say, he's dead, he's buried, goodbye. Please say of me, he lives, he lives, and dwells with God on high. Hallelujah. And the resurrection 
of the Lord Jesus Christ is the key that unlocks eternity for those who will accept him as their Savior and Lord. How many of you would like to never die? One. I'm glad you raised your hand over here, little woman. Yeah. How many of you would like to never die? Yeah. How many of you will never raise your hand regardless what question I ask? Yeah. Well, you don't have to die. Jesus said in John 11, 25 and 26, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this, Jesus asked? Do you? Yeah. Do you believe Jesus can keep you from making the cemetery your final resting place? Absolutely. But you have to believe his word, and you must accept him as your Lord and Savior. And so on the screen, next one, there you go, in those little words, if you can read it, that's what you need to do to become a Christian. That's what you need to do to be saved. That's what you need to do to go to heaven. However you want to phrase it, that's what the scripture teaches you have to do. You have to hear the good news, the gospel, because faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ, Romans 10, 17. Then you need to believe the good news, that God loved you so much that he gave his son to die for your sins. Believing that and that your sins caused an innocent man to die ought to create in you a sorrow that would lead you to go back to God. That's what repentance is all about. Repentance is that point where you're separated from God, but repentance turns you around so you can come back to God. Then you need to be willing to confess your belief, your faith in Jesus as the Son of God. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that by confession, by your mouth you confess, resulting in salvation. Then you need to be immersed. That's what the word baptism means. It means immersion. It does not mean to sprinkle. That's a totally different Greek word. It means to immerse. And why are you immersed? Again, I believe so that you can do symbolically what Jesus did for you when he died on the cross, was buried in a tomb, and raised from the dead. In immersion, there's a death, a burial, and a resurrection. And Acts 2.38 and Mark 16.16 16, and Galatians 3.27 and Matthew 28.18-20, through 20, 1 Peter 3.21, all kinds of scriptures that talk about being baptized into Jesus. And when you are, you receive the remission, the forgiveness of your sin. God washes them away and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then you live a life of faithfulness. And when you have that spirit in you, God's going to raise your mortal, fleshly body out of that grave someday. And the resurrection is the key. Have you done that? Have you done that? I pray that you have. But if you haven't, why not? And why not today? Right now. May this resurrection day be your resurrection day if you haven't obeyed the Lord and his gospel.